If you, um, if you had a copy of God's Word, got a copy of the Bible there with you, turn to John chapter 13. If you don't have a copy of God's Word with you, you didn't bring one with you, then in your seat uh, below you or around you, hopefully there's a Bible there. Uh, you can open it up to uh, the Gospel of John chapter 13, and that's where we're going to be this morning as we're walking through this series through John together. A few years ago, there was a commercial that ran that made my wife and I, Wendy and I, laugh uh, every time that we saw it. Uh, the commercial started out with Andy Williams singing this song. It went like this. It's the most wonderful time, join in, of the year, right? It's the hap happiest season. Some of you, yeah, you guys know it. Except when this commercial ran... Instead of snow-covered streets and evergreen trees with lights, it was a commercial for Staples, and you saw a mom holding on to a shopping cart with one foot on the cart, gliding down the aisle of Staples, throwing school supplies into her shopping cart, right? And some of you around July 22nd today that have kids that have been out of school for a while can relate to that. Some of you are like, I am out of ideas. When are the kids going back to school? And, uh, and maybe you're like that, or maybe you're not. Maybe you're like, hey, I love it. This is great. You're enjoying it. And that's good too. But going back to school, I want to talk about that for a moment, a significant moment. Specifically, not just the first day of school. I want to talk about the first, first day of school. Do you remember, maybe you can remember yourself, your own first, first day of school. Any of you remember your own first, first day of school? Anyone got that good? A couple people remember, yeah. That's, that's I do not remember my, I remember some things about there. But if you're a parent, I imagine you remember your child's first, first day of school. Any of you have children that this year is going to be their first, first day of school? Anyone here? We got a couple? Yeah, that's, yeah, you guys know because you guys have been preparing already. You guys are already thinking about it, right? You guys probably have the outfit picked out already. You know what they're wearing that first day of school. You've got, you've done a dry run to the school. You've driven there. You know how to, you know how to get there. You already, you would have packed their lunch already if you could because you're already thinking about it. You want, what's their teacher going to be like? What's their, you know, what's their day going to be like? But one of the things you think about on that first, first day of school are what are they going to be like when they get to school? And this is something parents think about. You know, having a school here at the church, we see a lot, of, I see a lot of first days of school. And that's always an interesting day. Uh, I, I prepare myself on that day probably not to get a lot of work done in my office on that day. There's a lot of crying that takes place on the first day of school. Sometimes it's the kids. Usually it's the parents. <laughs> that are standing outside a door, you know, wondering if they're going to be okay. We see a lot of first day of schools. I remember when our oldest, uh, Isaac, had his first day of kindergarten. And uh, it was kind of a awakening moment. I thought, no, what's the big deal? He's been in preschool and now he's going to go to kindergarten. And, uh, you know, no big deal. But then you get to kindergarten, it's like real school. And I know some of you that are, you think, oh man, like kindergarten starts real school. And I told Mrs. Truji was in our first service. She's our vice president of preschool. I said, block your ears. Yeah. I said, don't listen to this, Mrs. Truji, because preschool, I didn't think of as real school. 
But then, because I could like pull them out. I'm like, no, you know, we're going to take a day off. We're going to, you know, we're, it's, I, I treated, you know, I shouldn't do that. We have a preschool. It's wonderful. Your kids should be in here and stay here and it's awesome. But when they got in kindergarten, I was like, oh, like I can't be like, oh, we're just going to take them out for a couple days. Like they got to stay there. Like you take them out and the teachers like get mad at you. Like, no, we are, we are, they, we got to keep on pace. They're going to fall off track. We need them in the class, you know? And it was like eye-opening that first day of, the, of school. And one of the things I think parents think about on the first day of the first day of school is what are my kids going to be like when they're around people when I'm not around? What are my kids going to act like when they are around other kids and a teacher and a new environment, what are they going to be like when they're around people and I'm not around? One of my sisters who was a teacher uh, used to, and I remember she told me, and I thought this was great, in her fa- first uh, of the year parent-teacher conference every year, she would say to the parents, she said, I'll make you a deal. She'd say, you don't believe everything they tell you about me when they go home from school, and I won't believe everything they tell me about you when they come to school. Because who knows what kids are going to say about, if you're a teacher, you know what I'm talking about. Kids come in with some stories about something, and then you go to check it out, and you're like, oh, that didn't happen at all, the way they said it. But what are your kids going to be like when they're around people and you're not around. I bring that up because we come to this morning, John chapter 13 in the ministry of Jesus. And John chapter 13 begins a section of the gospel of John that is actually very concentrated time-wise. This is what I mean. The first 12 chapters of John that we've been in for the last number of weeks, really a couple months now, the first 12 chapters of John cover about three years, the vast majority really, of Jesus' ministry. We've covered three years in 12 chapters. The next seven chapters are going to cover 18 hours. Seven chapters of the gospel are going to be dedicated to about 18 hours of the life of Jesus and the ministry of Jesus, starting today with John chapter 13. And of course, in those 18 hours, there are the significant 18 hours we know about uh, in Jesus' life where he is, goes to trial, he is, he's betrayed, he goes to trial, and he's crucified. And then, uh, not long after that, a few days after that, of course, resurrected. And we, in that time frame, focus on those two important things, and they are very important. Obviously, the cross It is central to our faith as Christians. Jesus dying on the cross, giving his life. The crucifixion is central. God himself giving his life for us. We focus on that and that's important. And then the resurrection. Paul says without the resurrection, our faith is in vain. If Jesus didn't rise from the dead, then what are we doing? What are we believing in? Of course that's important. But there's another event that is going to happen that I think Jesus has in mind as we come to John chapter 13. Because there's the crucifixion, there's the resurrection, but then, not long after that, there's the ascension. And we don't sometimes talk a lot about the ascension. That's Jesus going back to the Father, 
being at God's right hand. The Bible says that Jesus is in heaven at God's right hand right now praying for us, interceding for us, and preparing a place for us. That's where he is. So the ascension, you got the crucifixion, the resurrection, and the ascension. And here's where this all connects with kids and parents and school and all that. Here's where it all connects. I think when we come to John chapter 13, what Jesus has in mind are what are these people that are my followers going to be like when they're around people and around each other when I'm no longer around? That the physical presence of Jesus is going to be gone from the earth. He's not going to be around them like he has been around them. And what are these followers of mine going to be alike when they are around people and around each other when I'm not around. And so let's look at the scene. Uh, John chapter 13, I'm going to read the first three verses, kind of set the scene for you. Now before the feast of the Passover, when Jesus knew that his hour had come to depart out of this world, so he knows, time short, hour had come to depart out of this world to the Father, having loved his own who were in the world, he loved them to the end. During supper, when the devil had already put it into the heart of Judas Iscariot, Simon's son, to betray him, Jesus, knowing that the Father had given all things into his hands and that he had come from God and was going back to God. Pause there for a second. So here's the scene. Jesus knows his time's short. Cross is coming. He's got about eight, it's 15 to 18 hours between this moment that John's talking about and when Jesus will be crucified and hanging on a cross. These are his last moments with his followers. Over the past three years, we've looked at it in the Gospel of John, they've experienced some amazing things. They've seen miracle healings. They've seen thousands of people fed with a little boy's lunch. They've seen people delivered from demon possession. They've seen... Just in the last chapter we looked at, a man who was dead and buried in a tomb for four days, walk out, raised from the dead. Now he's got a few hours left. And what would you do in this moment? What would you do in this moment? I think of it like a parent that's preparing their child for school. You know, you got a few moments left before that first day of the first day when you're going to be gone and they're going to be on their own. What do you want to make sure they know? What do you want to make sure that above everything else they remember? Because this is what's going to stick with them. Your last few moments, you know, they're going to get on the bus. You're going to drop them off at school. What is that last thought? What is that last thing that you want to put in their mind that they're going to remember? Jesus has done a lot of amazing things. And you kind of have the sense that as John builds up the tension, well, he's going to do something amazing now. You know, it's, it's like, you know, going to the performer. They save their last best, their, their best bit to last. Of course, Jesus is going to do that. He's done all these amazing things. He's got a few hours left. What is he going to do? John chapter 13. Let's pick it up in verse 3. Jesus, knowing that the Father had given all things into his hands and that he had come from God and was going back to God. Here's what he did. Rose from supper. He laid aside his outer garments and taking a towel, tied it around his waist. Then he poured water into a basin and began to wash the disciples' feet and to wipe them with the towel that was wrapped around him. 
He came to Simon Peter who said to him, Lord, do you wash my feet? Jesus answered, what I'm doing you do not understand now, but afterward you will understand. Peter said to him, you shall never wash my feet. Jesus answered him, if I do not wash you, you have no share with me. Simon Peter said to him, Lord, not my feet only, but also my hands and my head. Jesus said to him, the, the one who has bathed does not need to wash except for his feet, but is completely clean. And you are clean, but not every one of you. For he knew was, who was to betray him. That was why he said, not all of you are clean. When he had washed their feet and put on his outer garments and resumed his place, he said to them, do you understand what I have done for you? You call me teacher and Lord, and are right, for so I am. If I then, your Lord and teacher, have washed your feet, you also ought to wash one another's feet. For I have given you an example that you also should do just as I have done to you. Truly, truly, I say to you, a servant is not greater than his master, nor a messenger greater than the one who sent him. If you know these things, blessed are you if you do them. Here's what's going on. Jesus knows he's going away. He's got a few hours left. He can do anything. In fact, in this passage in verse 3, it says, uh, it says, Jesus, knowing the Father had given all things into his hands. He can do anything. He's got all this power that's been given to him. He's got a few moments left. What would he do? The showstopper? The grand finale? Feet washing. Wash his feet. Not feeding thousands. Not healing hundreds. Not raising people from the dead. No one around to see. Clears the room. Just him, 12 followers, a basin, a towel, dirty feet. This is how he chooses to spend some of his last moments before he's crucified. Why does he do it? Now, I think it's, let me go back to the parent-child illustration. Not so much when you send the child off to school, but think about this. Maybe your parents can remember the first time you left your kids home alone. Anyone remember the first time you left your kids home alone? Yeah, by themselves? You're a parent and you're thinking about that. Some of you kids are like, I'm waiting for that first day. My parents will leave me home you know, you're a parent, you're thinking about that first time you leave your kids home alone and, <clears throat> and you're, <clears throat> you're going to go out and you know what you do. You know, here's my phone number, you know, here's dad's phone number, here's mom's phone number, here's your aunt's phone number, here's your uncle's phone number, here's the phone number of the guy down the street, here's the phone number of the mailman, here's the phone number, like every, you know, <clears throat> you're going over that and here's the list of things, you know, don't turn an appliance on, don't answer the door, don't go outside, don't go in there, don't cook, don't eat, you know, you might choke, don't, in fact, just stay right there in that spot. I can see you from the camera. Don't move. I want you there when I leave and when I come home, right? And that's it, right? You know, you're thinking about that a lot of the time. And I think that Jesus, in many ways, is, is he's leaving. And what he knows is coming is not only the crucifixion and the resurrection, he knows the ascension is coming. And he's going to leave and he's wondering, what are my followers going to be like when they're around each other and they're around other people when I'm not around? And here's, I believe, the conclusion he comes to. Here's what he knows. That they don't need another lesson on how to pray. They don't need five points on how to do a healing for a leper. 
They don't need three points on how to have a fulfilling life or how to be successful. They don't need, once again, for him to go over, here's how you cast out demons. Jesus says what they need, what they lack, is they need to know how to love one another. What Jesus is concerned about more than anything else at the top of the list when he goes and his followers are around people and he's not physically around is that they will love each other well <clears throat> and that they will serve each other. He's most concerned about that. He looks at his followers <clears throat> and he knows what's in their heart. and He knows what they need. In fact, if we get a little more background information, it's not in the Gospel of John, but in the Gospel of Luke, if we had turned there, I'm not going to turn there this morning, but in Luke chapter 22, <clears throat> Luke actually tells us what they were talking about at the dinner table. And you know what their conversation was? Luke says their conversation was, who's the greatest? <clears throat> Which one's the most important? I mean, they all were probably like, okay, we know Jesus is the greatest. Like when Jesus is sitting at the table, he wins that all the time. But with the rest of us, you know, they're looking around, sizing each other up. And I don't know how the conversation went, but from knowing some background about the disciples, I could imagine maybe Peter spoke up. I don't know. Maybe John spoke up. Maybe I know I'm the greatest. You know, I think I'm the greatest. I was there with him then. I was there. You know, and they're, they're arguing about who is the greatest. And so what Jesus knows, what Jesus is concerned about is that my followers, when I'm not around and they're around each other, are, are they going to love each other well? Are they going to care for each other? And so what he does with just a few minutes that he has left, the lesson that he wants to leave them with, one of the last images he wants burned upon their minds is the God of heaven which they don't all understand it now, but they will then, God himself, the God of heaven and earth, come down, living among them, taking off his outer garment, taking a towel and a basin of water, gets up from the table, and he starts washing their dirty feet. And their dirty feet. This isn't... They have been walking around all day, barefoot, walking around Middle Eastern roads that are not like Lexington Street out here where, you know, maybe you walk, you forget your shoes and you walk down the road and you've got a little bit of dirt on your feet. That's not what it's like. They're walking down these dirt-covered, dusty paths. They're sweating. It's caked on. Who knows the last time they had a bath? Who knows the last time they washed their feet? And then in the midst of that... Thanks, Pastor Marvin. In the midst of that, um, in the midst of that, Jesus gets up and washes the feet of these men. And what's amazing is the only thing that's dirtier than their feet, the dirtier than the dirt that's on their feet, the only thing that's dirtier than the dirt from the roads they've been walking on is the sinful men who actually own the feet. That the holy God of heaven washes and takes in his hand. Can you imagine? I mean, everybody's quiet. No one's saying anything. And all you hear is two hands going into a basin of water, taking Thomas's feet, 
John's feet, washing one, takes his towel that he's got tied to him and wipes that foot off, does the next one. I mean, what are they thinking? The master, their teacher, their rabbi, washing the dirt, doing the thing that they wouldn't even do themselves. Doing the thing that was the work of a household servant and sometimes even they wouldn't do it. Washes their feet. And then he says, now that I've done this, I want you to live this life and do this for one another. I'm your master and your teacher. And it's right to call me that, he says. And now that I've done this, I want you to go and do this for each other. And maybe you're like me. I have two questions. My two questions are how and why. How are I supposed to do this? And how could Jesus do this? How could he be that humble to do this? Maybe you're sitting there and you go, oh no, I could do it. You could? When's the last time you washed somebody's feet? When's the last time you did something so humiliating for someone that in that society, even the lowest people on the rung of the ladder in that society didn't always do it? When is the last time you did something that humiliating? And I say, how, how could he do it? Because you know what? I sometimes have trouble being nice to people who are nice to me. May, I, you're probably different than me. I know you probably serve everyone and you're sacrificial in everything you do and you don't have any trouble with this, but I'll just, tell, I'll just confess myself. I sometimes will have trouble doing nice things for people who are nice to me. Let alone a holy God washing the feet of sinful men. How did he do it? How, what motivated him? I'll tell you why he didn't do it. I'll tell you what didn't motivate him. It wasn't because they deserved it. You know, sometimes we can think, you know, I'll do something nice for people if they, you know, they earn it, they deserve it. It wasn't because they deserved it. Because he took the feet of Thomas, who in a couple days would doubt his words and his resurrection. He took the feet of Peter, who in just a few hours is going to deny that he even knows Jesus. And he washes Peter's feet. And he takes the feet of Judas, who may have already betrayed him. Probably has. Probably already betrayed him to the authorities of the day, already setting him up to be tried. And he takes the feet of Judas, and he washes Judas' feet, the betrayer. And he washes the feet of every one of those disciples who he knows in a few hours, because he says it to them, are going to abandon him. All of them but one. John's the only one that stays at the cross. Everyone else leaves. Everyone else abandons him. Everyone else leaves. And he washes their feet. It wasn't because they deserved it. It wasn't because they earned it. I have trouble being nice to people who are nice to me. Jesus washed the feet of his betrayer, his denier, and deserters. People who he invested years of ministry in that would walk away from him in his time of need. And he says, I'm going to wash your feet. I'm going to serve you. And we have trouble being nice to people who are nice to us. So how could he do it? 
I think one of the reasons, and one of the reasons he could do it are the words that are given to us right in verse 3. said, Jesus, knowing that the Father had given all things into his hands and that he had come from God and was going back to God. How is it Jesus was able to humble himself in this way? Because he knew his origin and he knew his destination. That's one thing that nobody could change, no matter what happened to him, that he had come from God and that he was going back to God. And when God has called you to something that is difficult, if you know your origin, that God, you've come from God, that God loves you, that God made you, and if you know your destination, that because of the work of Christ, that you are going to be with God, you're going to be with him, and you have eternal life, then what happens in between becomes a lot easier to bear because you know what your destination is. You know where you're going and it can't be changed. And so if in the in-between, God calls you to serve and to do some things that are difficult, you know you can do it because you know where you've come from and you know where you're going. I, I think a little bit about, it's like sitting in traffic on, you know, 93. And you, maybe you got to commute to work in the city and you're heading down 93 and you leave your house and who knows, on a rainy day like today, you're sitting in bumper to bumper traffic, you know, there's an accident, all the lanes get blocked and you're sitting there and that's hard. But if you didn't know what your destination was and you're just sitting there randomly in traffic, how much harder would it be? But you know where you're going and you know, you're like, okay, you know, it's tough, it's difficult, but you know, I know where I'm going, I'm going to get there. It's the same thing in life. You know, you hit something in life and God calls you to do something difficult and he calls you to serve in a place that, that is humbling. And how do you do it? Because you know where your destination is. You know where you're going. And if you know that destination and you know where you're going, then you can do what you need to do in between, in between there, before there. And so I think Jesus is able to do this because he is humble enough to know, hey, look, I'm going back to my father. I belong to my father. So if I got to wash some feet right now to show these guys how to live, I can wash some feet. And that's what he does. He shows these guys how to live by humbling himself. And he calls them to do this and he calls his disciples to do this. He gives an example to them. It's how he does it. Why does he do it? He does it because he knows that their love for one another is going to be a key component of their witness to the world of who he is. And so he wants to make sure that they're going to love one another, that they're going to love the way he's called them to love. And so he shows them how to do it. He models it for them. But then he also... In addition to that, not only models it for him, but then he's going to, he says, you don't understand what I'm doing, but in a little while you will. He says, do you, you'll, you'll understand in a little while. What he means is on the other side of the cross, what you're going to see is not only am I going to wash your feet, I'm going to lay down my life for you. And so the reason why we should do it is not just because Jesus modeled it for us, not just because he tells us to do it, because this is who Jesus is. His, he is the God who comes and serves and he held nothing back. And so he'll wash dirty feet and he'll give his life on a cross because this is the kind of God, this is the God that he is revealing who he is. And if this is what God is like, then this is definitely what his followers should be like. And so we live our lives. 
in light of the God who served us, served his followers, who laid down his life for us. So there's nothing that you might be called to in your life that you can't say, well, you know, you could say, well, I, you know, someone else's do that. That's exactly what they thought. It was customary to have someone wash feet. You would either have a, a paid Gentile servant that would do it, or at times even, the host of the home may do it as a gift to the guests. Well, guess what these 12 guys did? They stood around. I'm not doing it. They knew they needed to have their feet washed. They're having, it's, it's like going to a meal and not washing your hands. You know it's, it's right. They weren't going to do it. Let's sit at the table with dirty feet before, you know, Peter's thinking, before I wash John's feet. I'm not going to do it. We'll just sit here with dirty feet. And Jesus humbles himself. But we can get into this idea of, well, someone else will do it. Oh, it's someone else's job. We can get in the idea that, well, I got other things to do. Yeah, I look, I'm, I'm really important. I've got some things to do. And if I, you know, I've got to get to them. And I look at this passage and I think he's 15 hours from being crucified. You don't think he had important things to do? Jesus didn't have important things to do in those hours and those minutes. And he chose to spend moments washing the feet and serving his disciples and showing them what it meant to serve. And so there's things in our life, in my life, in your life, that God will put in our path. And he says, I want you to wash their feet. I want you to serve them. And you can do it because you know what your destination is and because your God has served you. I want you to give that person a ride. I want you to give that person a meal. I want you to go listen and talk to that person that no one else listens and talks to. Student, as you go back to school, I want you to go sit at that lunch table where no one else is sitting. How can I do that? Well, you know where you're going. Your, your, Your seat at a lunch table doesn't change your destination with God. You're going and talking to someone that's gonna make other people talk about you doesn't change your destination with God. And you've got a God that served you and loves you. What are you worried about? Go and serve one another and love one another. Jesus is concerned that this isn't going to happen, that we are not going to love one another. And I wonder if Jesus wouldn't have the same concern about the church today. That if he were telling us and preparing us for life without his physical presence, that he wouldn't have the very same concern. Not concerned about whether you're going to pray or heal, cast out demons or feed or do any of these things. What I'm really concerned about is are you going to love one another? Will you love one another? Will you care for one another? So who are the people that God has put in your life? God has put in your path to serve Sometimes we're so busy trying to get a leg up that we miss the feet in front of us that need to be washed. It's amazing. The title of the message this morning, it's a little bit of a pun. How do you measure a ruler? Uh, We have lots of ways of measuring rulers in our society, in our world, how much area they conquer, how much area they control, how much... uh, 
you know, how many people, what are their subjects, how long do they rule, how do you measure a ruler? I think what Jesus shows us in this passage is the way you measure a ruler is one foot at a time. That's my pun. But it's true. Napoleon actually knew it. Look at this quote from Napoleon. He said this about the kingdom. He said, I know men. And I tell you, Jesus Christ was not a man. Alexander, Caesar, Charlemagne, and I have founded empires. But on what did we rest the creations of our genius? Upon sheer force. Jesus Christ founded his empire upon love. And at this hour, millions of men would die for him. It's a different kind of leader. And this is the kingdom he was creating. Kingdom of people who would love one another. I'm going to ask our music ministry to return and we're going to respond to God's word. As we do, I'm going to ask you to take their connect card out uh, this morning. We're going to look at that in just a second. You know, our world doesn't get this. Even in our world that talks a lot about service and serving and giving, and that's kind of a popular topic at times, and I think especially now, and that's good. Obviously, serving, giving, helping, those are good things. We want to do those. But I still think at times our world doesn't get the kind of serving that Jesus is calling you to. Our world doesn't get the kind of serving that washes Judas's feet. Maybe the church doesn't get it sometimes either. Let me give you an example. I was, uh, one of the stories about serving as I was thinking about this message in the news the last number of weeks about serving or not serving was this story about Sarah Huckabee Sanders and the Red Hen. And maybe you heard about it at the Red Hen restaurant in Virginia. And, uh, and Sarah Huckabee Sanders, who's the press secretary for President Trump, uh, went in to have a meal and, and they wouldn't serve her. They asked her to leave, actually. And they wouldn't serve her a meal and asked her to leave because of her, uh, what she does for work and the views of the president. And so they asked her to leave and this became this huge news story. And I was reading actually an article about it this week in the local paper, in the Burlington paper, because they had written an editorial about it and then there were a couple letters to the editor back. And one letter to the editor made an interesting point, I thought. He said, uh, you know, the red hen wouldn't serve Sarah Huckabee Sanders, but not long after that, she was over in England and the Queen of England served her tea. And I thought that was interesting because I look at it this way. I wonder if there's some people in our lives that because they think about things differently, because they view things differently, because they have a different stance on things, we disagree with them, that we refuse to serve them. And yet the God of the universe came down and gave his life that they might be saved. Are there people in our life that we look at them and we cringe at washing their feet? We shrink back from serving and loving them. And the God of the universe didn't shrink back. He came down from heaven to earth. He gave his life on a cross that they might have the opportunity to be saved and to know him. We refuse service at a restaurant and the Queen of England serves tea and I thought that's, God, don't let that be us. Don't let us refuse to serve someone that you have given your life to save. 
So you got this card in front of you, and every week we have this line there, but I want to draw your attention to it this week because I want you to take a few moments right now as we close out this time together. It says, how can I apply this to my life? As the team leads us in worship and sing, I want to ask you just to take a couple minutes and ask God to show you. And maybe you already know. Maybe the Holy Spirit is already speaking to you. There's already a name. There's already a person in your life. There's already someone that you know God has called you to serve. God has called you, you know, to wash their feet, to say, God has called you. God has put them in your life so that you can love them. And maybe you just take a moment to take a pen, grab a pen from one of the chairs and write down one thing that you're going to do this week. To love God by loving them. You know your destination. You don't have to worry about that. What is God calling you to do this week? To radically serve the way Jesus, because that was a radical serving. The God of the universe washing the dirty feet of sinful men. This team leads us Ask God to lead you in what you can do this week and what step he would have you to take. Father, Lord, we are prideful people. We can be just like Peter who says, Lord, don't wash my feet. And we try and tell you what to do. And we try to tell you how to serve. And we try and say, you can't do this for us. Or, and we take that same pride into our relationships with other people as well, Lord. So, Lord, I pray right now that you would speak to us as a church. You would speak to us individually. Lord, I believe this message in this passage is so significant that we barely understand the kind of servants and followers that you have called us to be. Where we barely scratch the surface of that radical, humble, vulnerable service that you gave and call us to give. But Lord, speak to us. Guide each and every heart right now as we search our hearts. Maybe there's something we need to confess, Lord. But Lord, lead us, show us where you've called us to love the way that you have loved us. Guide us now. We ask it, Lord, in Jesus' name. Amen.